Thank you, choir. Well, I can honestly say I had that one coming. I normally I normally keep my mouth closed about my favorite team, and I don't talk a lot of smack because I know what goes around comes around. Um, but I I decided to let it roll a little bit last week. So all I got to say is I'm glad they picked picked a picture of me that I'm not smiling in. <laughs> Uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to open up to uh, Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 12 this morning. And Galatians chapter 5, verse 7 through 12. As you are turning there in your copy of God's Word, I uh, just want to uh, remind you of where we're at in this uh, letter where Paul is writing uh, to encourage and exhort these believers to uh, stay strong in the truth of the gospel. And that's why he's writing this letter. They have been tempted to uh, to veer off course, so to speak, and uh, begin to believe some false things about how someone comes to belong to the family of God. Uh, Paul says in this letter that it is through faith and through faith alone, because salvation is by grace and by grace alone. But these false teachers are saying that you must work. You must add to what Jesus did on the cross. That what Jesus did on the cross is not enough. And so we must add our own Good works. Specifically, these are Judaizers, and so they are uh, calling on these believers to begin to practice uh, Judaism, to begin to go back to the Old Testament law and, and obey it so that they can truly be saved. And Paul writes to say that is wrong, that is not the true gospel. In fact, that is no gospel at all. If we were to back up to uh, around verse 21 in chapter 4, uh, we would see Paul begin to uh, unpack this theme of freedom. And he begins by calling us in gospel freedom to the right family. And once we belong to the right family, then later in chapter 4, he calls us to confidence. To be confident that we belong to the right family, even in the face of false teaching. And then in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5, beginning there with verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free, we learned that we are to stand firm in that freedom. And we must know what the truth is and then stand on it no matter what wind of doctrine blows our way. And now, continuing along that same theme of freedom in verses 7 through 12, Paul will call us to stay the course. To stay the course. As you run the gospel race, as you run the gospel race, don't get sidetracked by false teaching, but rather stick to the truth of the cross. Stick to the truth of the cross. Will you join me? Follow along as we read these verses. Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, as we have come to this time in our service where we open up your word, the word of truth, the word of life, Father, would you open up our hearts to receive your word, to receive this truth? Father, we pray that your your truth, your word would, would act as a, as a spotlight and shine into the depths of our souls. And Father, if, if there be any, any uh, unwholesomeness there, if there be any 
false doctrine, if there be any sin that is in our hearts, Father, would your word expose it? And Father, would it lead us to repentance? Would it lead us to call out to you to help us uh, to, to, to turn from that sin, to turn from any, any false beliefs that we may have, and to run the course of truth, gospel truth, to stay on that course. Lord, speak into our hearts right now through your word, by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to share with you this morning from this passage five ways to stay the course of gospel truth. Five ways to stay the course of gospel truth. The first is this. Stay the course of truth by evaluating the source of all teaching. Stay the course of gospel truth by evaluating the source of all teaching. Paul introduces a, a, a metaphor for the Christian life that he likes to use. He uses this metaphor all throughout his New Testament writings. He says, you are running well. It's the metaphor, it's the analogy of a race. And many times throughout his letters, Paul refers to the Christian life as a race. I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a race before. Um, I, I used to run a lot. I still like it. I just don't have time to do it as much anymore, but... Um, but I used to run when I was in high school, a lot of ran cross country. And, and one of the things I enjoyed about that is that we ran in different places and all the courses that we ran were different. And sometimes we were running through the woods and sometimes we were running through a parking lot. And sometimes we were running through a field. Uh, sometimes we were crossing creeks and, and on little bridges that had been built or just jumping over them or uh, all kinds of stuff. And it was fun. But one of the things that was oftentimes kind of nerve wracking uh, whenever I would go to a new place, a new school or new campus to, to run was uh, not knowing the course. Because if you got off course, not only would you have a bad time, but you would get disqualified. You had to stay on the course. And uh, you didn't know the course. And so uh, one of the things that I would try to do is stay with some people that I thought knew the course, especially people who that was their home course. I figured they should know the course better than anyone else. And so I was trying to stay with them because I didn't want to veer off course. Well, Paul uses this analogy of running a race uh, many times to talk about the Christian life, and he does so here. And he tells the Galatian believers that they were running well. They were running well. Now, two things to notice about that. Number one, it's somewhat encouraging because he says, hey, you started off on the right foot. foot. You started off on the right path. You started off running well. The bad news, though, is that word were. It's past tense. Something has happened. You were running well. So what has happened? Well, something has hindered them. Something has hindered them. He asked a question. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? That word hinder, you could translate, who has put an obstacle in your way? Or you could translate it, who has cut in on you? Who has come alongside you and cut in on you and then started pushing you off course? We can see exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about these false teachers. Who has put this obstacle in your way? They were running well. But now, very quickly, they have hit this obstacle. And instead of removing this obstacle, they're letting it throw them off course. I say very quickly that they've been thrown off course because if we go back to the very beginning of this letter, chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. One of the things that has Paul so worked up is not just that they have strayed off course. It's how quickly it has happened. But remembering that these believers are fairly new in the faith helps us see how it's very possible that they have so quickly veered off course. They're still Young in their faith, young in their understanding of Christian doctrine. It's a reminder to us 
the more immature we are in the faith, the more susceptible we are to having an obstacle cause us to veer off course, having false teaching uh, confront us and us begin to believe it, which then is a call for us to make sure we are growing in Christ, maturing in Christ, growing up into him who is the head of the church, Jesus Christ. That means that as a church, we must focus, too, on discipleship. It's not enough just to call someone to salvation and and share the gospel with them and lead them to repentance and faith. But then we must walk alongside them and help them grow in the faith. Are you today growing in the faith? Are you growing in your knowledge of God's word? Are you helping others who maybe are less mature in the faith, who are younger believers? I don't mean in age necessarily, but just it's been it hasn't been too long since they came to faith in Christ. Are you helping them grow up so that they aren't so quickly thrown off course? But what were they hindered from? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? What does Paul mean by the truth here? Well, This is a shortened phrase of another phrase that he's used a couple of times in this letter. It's the truth of the gospel. We can go back to chapter uh, 2, verse 5. We find these words. He says, to them we don't yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. We go on to chapter 2, verse 14, and we find these words. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Even there, he's hinting at this running analogy. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. So when Paul says here in verse 7, you are running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? He's talking about the gospel truth. He's talking about that truth that he has been arguing for and, and, and showing how Scripture teaches this, this truth that salvation, justification, to stand before God one day and not be punished for my sin, to be justified in His sight, only happens through placing my faith in Jesus Christ because He alone has paid the price for my sin. And I don't add anything to that. It's not by works. That's the gospel truth that they have been hindered from obeying, hindered from following. But this question really is who? Who has hindered you from obeying the truth? Who has cut in on you? Who is this obstacle? He asked a question in chapter 3, verse 1. Who has bewitched you, he said there. Now in chapter 5, he says, who has hindered you? Verse 8. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. How how does Paul know that this teaching is wrong? Because it's not from God. Who has called the Galatians to salvation? It was God. Who called Paul to salvation through faith in Jesus? It was God. God is the one who does the calling. Go back to chapter 1, verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Down in verse 15 of chapter 1. But when he who had set me apart, Paul says, before I was born and who called me by his grace. We go on to chapter 5, verse 13, skipping ahead a few verses from where we are this morning. Paul's going to say, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Who is this calling from? This calling is from God. So if this persuasion is not from God, who is it from? 
but it's from God's enemy. It is from Satan. The God who calls us to salvation is the God of truth, but there is an enemy who is known and called the father of lies. He is Satan. And so Paul says, who has persuaded you from obeying this truth? Who is it? It's not him who called you. It is from Satan. Listen to me. Satan is always trying to infiltrate the church with false teaching. He is always trying to throw us off course in our doctrine. So how can we defend ourselves from being quickly over, um, quickly thrown off course by this false teaching? Well, in order to not be quickly thrown off course, we must be able to quickly discern what is truth and what is false. So how do we know that? How do I gain the ability to quickly discern the source, whether this teaching is from Satan or is it from God? Well, it's a process. That's what I was talking about a minute ago. It's that process of growing in Christ. But it's this. It's God's word. How do we know what the truth is? How do we become, uh, gain the ability to quickly discern whether something is right or wrong? It's by knowing God's Word. The better we know God's Word, the more quickly we'll be able to discern whether something is true or, or false, which puts us in a great position to stay on course and not believe whatever wind of doctrine may come our way. I think that's why Paul, writing to Timothy, who is a pastor, facing a, 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 a city, a community, even a church that was, that was in the throes of false teaching. His command to Timothy as the pastor was, preach the word in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort from God's word. Why? Because it's God's word that keeps us on track. It's God's word that helps us know whether something is coming from God or whether it's not coming from God. That is coming from Satan. Stay the course by evaluating the source of all teaching. But it's not merely the quickness with which we can be led astray that makes false teaching so dangerous. It's also the fact that it only takes a little. It only takes a little twisting of the truth to lead a whole church astray. Truth number two. Stay the course of truth by taking even a little false teaching seriously. By taking even a little false teaching seriously. Verse number 9. Paul gives an aphorism, which is a well-known saying that provides wisdom in a situation. Almost kind of like a proverb. Here, here's some ones that we're familiar with today. Before I read verse 9, here's some that we're familiar with. You could probably finish these. All that glitters is not gold. That's right. Give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime, right? If you snooze, you lose. There you go. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. That's right. I was at a convention one time and I was a pretty large convention and there was a business meeting going on and so people were standing up at microphones and sharing their opinion about things and and um and different stuff and and so there was a motion on the floor and and um to change something and and this this guy got up and um seemed very sincere and uh he said what we often say when we start an aphorism we say well you know what they say right or you know what we know what we always hear well so he stands up and he says well he says, 
you know, you know what they always say. You know what we always hear. And I, I thought I knew what he was going to say next. And he said, if it's working, don't break it. There was a lot of people in this room. I looked at my wife. She was sitting next to me. She wasn't my wife at that point. We were dating. I looked at her and I said, never heard it put quite like that. I don't, that, I don't think that's what they say. Uh, I think he kind of got that one a little wrong. I think what he meant to say was, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, but he kind of made his own version of that. But maybe that's what they say where he was from. I don't know. But uh, we, had a, we had a little laugh over that. And me and my wife still, still laugh at it. I'll say, well, you know what they always say. And she'll just look at me and start laughing. Uh, but Paul gives an aphorism here in this uh, in this verse 9, he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It was one of those little sayings that people knew exactly when he said it. He could have even started it by saying, you know what they say? You know what they say? A little leaven leavens a whole lump. What's Paul talking about? Is he giving a baking class here? Is he tell, telling you how to make some bread? No, but he's using that as an analogy to make a point. See, when you want to make bread, and I'm not a bread maker at all, um, but I do like to eat homemade bread, if any of you know how to make it, um, you gotta let you gotta put something in it to make that bread rise. That's the yeast. That's the leaven. But you only need just a little bit. You put that little bit in there, and it just works its way all throughout all that dough so that it rises. I think I'm saying all that right. I'm not. A, I'm not a bread maker. Okay. Um, there's a name for a bread maker. What is that? A baker? Yeah. I don't know. See, I don't even know what what the title is. I just eat it. Uh, so he, here's Paul's point. It only takes a little bit. It only takes a little bit of false teaching to lead not just one person astray, but to work its way through a whole church and lead a whole church astray. Paul uses this uh, this phrase, this sentence, one other place in uh, Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. And there the leaven is compared to sinful behavior in the church. He's calling out someone in the church who is living in unrepentant sin. And there he says... Hey, Corinthians, remember, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, get rid of this person who is continually living in sin. Or else the whole church is going to start living in this sin. In Galatians, he's comparing the leaven to false teaching. And he's saying, hey, Galatians, remember, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So get rid of it. Get rid of it. Or the whole church is going to be led astray. Truth matters. And therefore, any twisting of the truth needs to be dealt with quickly. My mama has an aphorism that she says, and she still say it sometimes. Uh, and I know y'all have heard it before, but I can, and she say it all the time. And so now I say it all the time. Nip it in the bud, right? Nip it in the bud. She said, nip it in the bud. You know what that means. Go ahead and cut off whatever that bad habit is or whatever before it becomes a bad habit. Just go ahead and nip it in. Let's, let's kill it now before it becomes something bigger later. Well, to use my mama's lingo, the church must nip it in the bud when it comes to errors and theological doctrine, especially when those errors undermine the whole gospel. Even if that means removing from a fellowship someone who is teaching false doctrine, we must take even a little false teaching seriously. Now, sometimes people want to accuse those who take doctrine seriously of, here you go, you ready for another one? Making a mountain out of a molehill. Right, making a mountain out of a molehill. But if the molehill 
could potentially grow into a mountain, I think it'd be better just to deal with it while it's a molehill. Amen? Now, granted, some things, some doctrinal truths, some, some uh, areas of doctrine are, are things that the Bible isn't super clear on. And so there's things that we can agree to disagree on. However, when it comes to what Paul is talking about, the truth of the gospel, there's no room for, well, we can agree to disagree. If someone comes in and says, if you want to get saved, you've got to earn your way to God, then I'm going to say, you're wrong. That's not what God's word says. God's word very clearly says that no one is righteous. No, not one. If we want to be justified before God, it is only through placing our faith in him. So. If you ever find yourself standing up for the truth of the gospel when false teaching has infiltrated the church, someone says, don't make a mountain out of a molehill. Well, you can say, "Ah, Paul said a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And mama said to nip it in the bud. So if you're going to teach that false doctrine, you can just take a hike. Because like they say, if you lie down with dogs, you might, get, you might get up with fleas. And we don't have any room for fleas here. Or maybe you could just say, the truth ain't broke. So it doesn't need fixing. Whatever you say, stand up for the truth. The gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, has always been the way of being justified before God. And it will always be the way of being justified before God. Till the cows come home. Well, that's enough aphorisms for one day. The point is that it only takes a little, it only takes a little false teaching to lead a church astray. So we've got to take it seriously. We have to take it seriously if we want to stay the course. Number three. Number three, stay the course of truth by trusting in the Lord's keeping power. I love this one. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, but I, I love this truth here. Stay the course of truth by trusting in the Lord's keeping power. Notice verse uh, 10. Paul says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. Let's just stop right there. That first part of verse 10. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. What do I mean by the Lord's keeping power? The Lord's keeping power. Well, let me tell you about my daughter, uh, Letty. She, uh, she's three, and uh, if you don't know her, most of you do. And uh, her grandfather, my father-in-law, uh, had gave her a, a four-wheeler, one of those battery-operated four-wheelers. Now, she had a little one that went, like, extremely slow. Uh, well, she graduated to the next level of battery-operated four-wheeler. And he decided when he was working on it, it was used and he fixed it up, um, that he would just go ahead and put a little bit bigger battery in it than it had originally. And so this thing will fly. And uh, to be a battery-operated four-wheeler, it will go. And so we were at their house, and, and uh, we, we were going to take her, uh, let her ride it for the first time, and, and so we are going to go down the driveway. Well, the driveway goes across the dam of a pond. And so on one side of the driveway, it drops down to the pond. On the other side of the driveway, it drops down to the woods where the creek is. Okay, just you can picture that in your mind. So here is Letty on this four-wheeler that has a lot more power than she can control at this point. And we're walking beside her, and, um, and she's kind of, she knows that she's supposed to stay on it, but she gets distracted. Right. She gets distracted and she looks over at the pond, you know, turtle sitting there and starts going that way. looks over to the woods. And she started so, so as I'm going, I'm saying, lady, you got to keep your eyes fixed ahead and you got to you got to stay on the driveway, stay on the course. Don't don't go off. You're going to wreck. 
And so she was doing her best. But you know what I was doing the whole time? Walking beside her, and as that tire would start to head off the driveway, I'd just give it a little kick. And I'd kick it back onto the driveway. And then she'd start going the other way. I'd run to the other side, and I'd kick that tire back. She probably thought she was doing it all herself. But really, I was the one that was keeping her own course. Paul says in verse 10, he says, I'm confident. And literally, literally, the Greek says, I'm, I have confidence in you in the Lord. And not all translations bring that out. It's kind of odd to translate it. Um, but it says, I have confidence in you in the Lord. So Paul has confidence that the Galatian believers will reject the false teaching and hold to the gospel that he came and preached to them, the true gospel. But his confidence isn't rooted in them and their ability to stay the course. His confidence is rooted in God's ability to keep them on the right course. Paul's confidence in them is rooted in his confidence in the Lord's keeping power. So ultimately, if we're going to stay the course, we must trust in God's ability to keep us on the path of truth. God gets the glory because he gives us the wisdom to be able to discern what is right doctrine and what is wrong doctrine. And he walks alongside us and gives us the courage to stay the course in the face of false teaching. Our initial belief in the truth of the gospel is by his grace. And so why would we think our continuance in believing the truth of the gospel is by anything other than his grace in our lives? If God didn't keep us on track, we would never be able to stay on track. We wouldn't. We wouldn't be able to do it by ourselves. So let me give you just encouragement. If you find yourself facing false teaching, be encouraged as a believer that God's going to help you stay the course. It's not all left up to you. He'll help you have confidence in his power. But when you do stand firm on what is true, when you do stay the course, don't get arrogant and think, wow, I stayed the course through that false teaching. It was God who was doing it in you. He gets the glory. So we stay the course by trusting in his keeping power. But not only does Paul have confidence in verse 10 that the Lord will keep the Galatian believers on course, he also has confidence that the Lord will punish the false teachers. The Lord will punish the false teachers. Truth number four, stay the course of truth by remembering the end of false teachers. Stay the course of truth by remembering the end of false teachers. Notice what he says. I have confidence in the Lord that you'll take no other view than mine and that the one who is troubling you will, will bear the penalty, whoever he is. The one who is troubling you. It's interesting, the same word for troubling is used in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, we find something that's called the Jerusalem Council. Basically, some false teachers teaching this same doctrine, salvation by works, had gone up to Antioch. And they have been spreading these lies that you have to earn your salvation through things like circumcision, believing and obeying all the Old Testament law. And so they held a council. Paul and Barnabas came back to Jerusalem and they said, hey, we got to We got to get this straight. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. It's a free gift of God. You don't work for it. And so they realized, yeah, that's true. And so they sent a letter back to the church at Antioch. The Jerusalem church sent a letter back to the church at Antioch. And they used the same word to describe those Judaizers who had gone to Antioch. It could be the exact same people who now are in the region of Galatia. These troublers. They come into the midst and they're troubling them. But what does Paul say is going to happen to them? 
He has confidence that they will bear the penalty. Or you could translate that, will bear the judgment. The one who is troubling you will bear the judgment, will bear the penalty, whoever he is. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 15, Paul writing to the Corinthians says of false teachers, their end will correspond to their deed. We're going to use our imagination. Let's just go to God's word. What end corresponds to the deed of preaching something, of teaching something, of believing something that contradicts the God of this universe? Eternal punishment. Paul says, remember what's going to happen to these false teachers in the end. Even if the person, and we see this, I see this all around us, even if the person who is teaching false doctrine, I don't mean in our church, I just mean in our society, even if the person who is teaching false doctrine seems to be living the good life, seems to be blessed, seems to always have a smile on their face, Seems to be happy all the time. Remember, if what they're saying is not the truth of the gospel, what is coming for them is the judgment of God. False teaching may be popular. And oftentimes it is. False teaching often kind of goes with the fads of the day. It's kind of like everyone just kind of jumps on the train, on the bandwagon. And it's so popular. And that's one of the things that makes it so hard to stay the course. Because it's not just one person over here saying, hey, I believe this. And we're like, nobody believes that. It's often lots of people saying, hey, this is what we believe. And we go, wow, it seems like everyone's believing that. And that makes it so hard sometimes to stay the course of truth. To stay the course of gospel truth. But no matter how popular false teaching may be, we must look past the present popularity. And see the penalty that awaits those who teach such things. So remembering the end of false teachers will help us stay the course. But last and definitely not least. And possibly, probably the most important part about staying on course. Is keeping your eyes fixed on the truth. Which is exactly what we see Paul doing in these last two verses. Number five. Stay the course of truth by sticking to the message of the cross. We stay the course of truth by sticking to the message of the cross. Let's read verse 11 and 12. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. What's going on in these two verses? Well, here Paul is probably responding to an accusation that's been thrown at him by the false teachers. Most likely, the false teachers were saying, telling the Galatians that Paul, hey, that Paul that came and preached the gospel to you, that gospel that he calls the gospel, you know, that Paul, well, he's actually still preaching circumcision. What do they mean by that? Well, they're saying, uh, Paul is still going around and he's still preaching that if you want to really be saved, you got to do something. You got to obey the Jewish law. And we talked about last week, one of the, one of the main parts of that was circumcision. When we hear that, just think, Doing something in order to earn God's love and grace and acceptance. They're saying, Paul's still out there preaching that. Paul's still preaching that. So this is really no different than what Paul's preached. Well, that would completely unsettle the Galatians, as we see in verse 12. That word unsettle, you could say, cause a ruckus, cause an uproar among them. 
Because they're saying, actually, when Paul came, he told us that we couldn't be saved by our works. He said the only way we could be saved is by trusting in Jesus Christ alone. And now the false teachers are saying, actually, Paul is still preaching circumcision. So they're all unsettled and this uproar, this ruckus going on in their midst. Paul refutes that claim by drawing attention to the persecution he is enduring. Notice what he says. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, if I'm still saying that you have to do something more than believe in Jesus to be saved, which is what the false teachers are telling you that I'm saying, why then am I being persecuted? I ask the question, what in the world does persecution have to do with what we're talking about? Where did that come from? What's that have to do with whether or not Paul is preaching a salvation based on human effort, such as adherence to the Jewish law of circumcision? Well, Paul says, listen closely, Paul says, it is the preaching of the cross, which is offensive to some, that has led to his persecution. If he had preached circumcision, that is salvation by works, then he wouldn't have offended the Jews, which means they wouldn't have been persecuting him. The fact that he is still being persecuted by the Jews is evidence that he is not preaching circumcision, but that he is preaching the cross. And then we ask the question, why then is the cross so offensive? I mean, that's what it says. It says that the cross is an offense. That same word can also be translated stumbling block, which makes us think of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter, chapter 1, verse 23. I want to read that verse to you. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Why is it a stumbling block? Why is the cross offensive? Well, perhaps for the Jews, it could be because it would seem impossible that the holy God would subject himself to being cursed by being hanged on a tree. Remember, Paul talked about that in uh, Galatians chapter three, verse 13. Cursed be anyone who is hung on a tree. So say, how can God basically curse himself? Doesn't make any sense to us. That's offensive. Perhaps it went a little deeper. Because see, you, you see, the cross proclaims the inability of the law to save, which means the Jews would have to admit that their attempts at gaining a right standing with God by obeying the law had accomplished nothing in regards to their salvation. It's not just the Jews. It's everyone. We all have to admit that. That our works accomplish nothing when it comes to gaining salvation. You know why we don't like to admit that? Pride. Pride. The cross is offensive to every person who thinks he is capable of doing something acceptable in God's sight apart from God's rescuing grace. The cross is offensive to a prideful people who are unwilling to admit that they fall short of God's glory and desperately need God's saving grace. The cross is offensive to us if we are unwilling to say, God, I can't do it. I need you to come and rescue me. I need you to show me your saving grace. Paul's point is that Jesus on the cross is, is the exact opposite of me earning my salvation. For any addition of works as a means of salvation completely removes that which is offensive about the gospel. God's grace displayed through the death of Jesus on the cross. 
When it comes to being justified, grace is opposed to works. The cross is opposed to circumcision as a means to salvation. To add anything to grace is to reject grace. Paul goes on in verse 12 to basically, sarcastically, say that if these false teachers are saying that circumcision is adding to their salvation, is basically making them more acceptable in God's sight. It's crude, I know, but I have a feeling it would have got their attention. He says in verse 12, if they think circumcision is adding something to their salvation, then why don't they go ahead and castrate themselves? Because that would add even more to their, to their salvation. That's what Paul is saying in verse 12. I wish those who unsettle you would just go ahead and emasculate themselves. What's his point? Is he just trying to be crude for a shock effect? No. His point is to say that it it makes no sense. If I need to do this in order to really be saved, in order for God to love me, well, then why wouldn't I take the next step? And why wouldn't I take the next step? And why wouldn't I take the next step? But the point is, we can never take enough steps to earn God's love. It's a free gift. comes only from So Paul is saying this, listen, listen, Galatians, they say I preach circumcision, which is salvation by works. But if I was, I would not be preaching the cross, which is salvation by grace through faith. And if I was not preaching the cross, they would not be persecuting me. But I am preaching the cross, which is why they continue to persecute me. Paul stuck to the cross. He even said to the Corinthians that we preach nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What did he say to the Galatians? Chapter 3, verse 1. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He's talking about the message that he preached to them. It was centered on the cross. And he's telling the Galatians, Galatians, you need to stick to the cross. And God is telling us today, you and I, we must stick to the cross if we are going to stay the course of gospel truth. False doctrine, false teaching that attacks the gospel always attacks the cross in some way. Whether it's a false teaching that denies the divinity of Jesus, well, that's an attack on the cross. Because if Jesus Jesus is not God on the cross, he really can't pay the price for our sins. Whether that's a works-based salvation that says you've got to add something to what Jesus did on the cross, that's an attack on the cross to say that what he did on the cross is not enough. At the end of the day, false teaching that is teaching a different gospel is an attack on the cross in some way, shape, or form. So, if we want to stay the course, we must stick to the cross. Notice what has happened to Paul when he sticks to the cross. He's persecuted. Nowhere in this letter does Paul say this is an easy race. Nowhere in this does he say, oh, you're just going to coast along on this race of the Christian life. And it's just going to be... Just a a field of roses all the way. No. Paul sticking to the cross led to persecution. So I think we can't leave this passage without saying if we are persecuted for for sticking to the cross, well, we just need to see that as evidence that we are believing the truth and we press forward. 
People may be offended when you say you are a sinner. You can't do anything to save yourself. You need God to give you a salvation you don't deserve. And he will give it to you if you will place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You may be offended by that, but we must remember that although the true gospel is offensive to those who reject it, it is the power unto salvation. It is the aroma of life. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, to those who are being saved, to those who will believe. The enemy, listen church, the enemy wants us to water down the message of the cross. The enemy wants us to think that we are good. The enemy wants us to not sound offensive to our culture. The enemy wants to keep people out of God's kingdom. The enemy wants us to stray off course by looking to and trusting in our own works rather than looking to and trusting in the work of Jesus on the cross. But we have been set free from the power of Satan. What's the theme here? Freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free in verse 1. Therefore, stay the course. We have the ability to stay the course of gospel truth. God has set us free to stay the course. We are free to continue to believe the truth. One of the things that I would tell my daughter as she's riding her little four-wheeler, she likes to look behind her for some reason. She wants to see what's behind. She's doing this the whole time and she's all over the place. And I keep saying, keep your eyes ahead. Look ahead. You've got to fix your eyes on where you're going. I think Paul would say, church, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on the cross. Don't get distracted. Stay the course of gospel truth. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you for giving us your word, for giving us your son, for saving us, for helping us stay the course of truth. Father, we want to continue believing the truth. Father, for our own sake, for the sake of the lost around us who need to hear the truth, for the sake of your glory, the glory of the one who is the author of all truth. Father, help us to stay the course. Thank you for salvation by grace through faith. Thank you for setting us free in Christ. Father, help us to run the race well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.